studies in Luke, uh, and today we come to Luke chapter 5, and we're going to begin reading in verses 1, and we're going to go through verse 11. If you don't have your Bibles, you can find it on page 860 in the Pew Bible. And as you're turning there, for context's sake, just a reminder that we are at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. And as we saw last time, it's a ministry that began with Jesus' temptation in the wilderness. It then continued with his gospel proclamation in his hometown of Nazareth, a gospel proclamation that nearly got him killed. And then it moved on to Capernaum, to that lakeside town, and there he uh, performed many miracles. He healed many of their diseases, and he also delivered those who were entrenched in demonic darkness. And now Luke continues in verse 1 of chapter 5. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. When they had brought their boats to the land, they left everything and followed him. This is the word of the Lord. As we continue our studies of Luke, I want you to encourage you to not forget the smaller story that lies behind this large gospel story. What is that smaller story? Well, it's the story of Luke's relationship with Theophilus, the man for whom he wrote this gospel, as he states in his prologue. Now, I have no, I, no doubt that uh, Luke intended his gospel to be read by many. But when he initially sat down to write this gospel... Theophilus was uppermost in his mind. Now, we don't know a whole lot about Theophilus, other than he was some sort of Roman official who had been taught the basics of the gospel. He seems to have been a new Christian. But as a new Christian, living and working in a pagan society, Theophilus was already struggling with something from, for which most of us are, are quite familiar. Theophilus lacked assurance. Theophilus wasn't certain that he was a genuine follower of Jesus. Now, we don't know anything about the relationship that existed between Luke and Theophilus other than they knew each other, obviously. But what if, mere conjecture here, but what if they were best friends? Friends who had grown up together in Antioch, 
And now here they are in adulthood with one friend being a convinced follower of Christ while the other's wondering if he's a Christian at all. You may have a friend or a relative in that same position. They're struggling, struggling to believe that they're a genuine follower of Jesus Christ. What would you say to them? What would you say to them in their struggle? Well, what did Luke tell his friend? Well, he told him the gospel. And he did so because he wanted Theophilus to be sure that he was indeed a true disciple of Christ. And because Luke was a doctor, not only of the body, but of the soul, he knew that a remedy for a lack of assurance was a fresh encounter with Christ. An encounter that comes through reading and reflecting on the gospel. In giving Theophilus this gospel story, Luke was sure that Jesus would, in a sense, come off the page to meet his friend so as to assure him of what it means to be his disciple. This is the smaller story. Sometimes we leave it behind. We rush through the prologue. But I would encourage you, keep this smaller story in mind as we continue to make our way through this larger gospel story. Because you see, when we keep it in mind, it actually helps us make sense for why Luke does what he does in his gospel. For example, here, why Luke's account of calling Jesus' first disciples differs from the other gospel accounts. Now, there's no contradiction between the accounts, but there is a different emphasis. And for Luke, the emphasis is on one man, namely Simon Peter. Yes, the sons of Zebedee are mentioned, but it's Simon who remains the focus throughout. And I think the reason Luke focuses on Simon is to say to Theophilus, and to us who are listening now, if you're struggling to know if you're a true disciple, then I want you to consider the occasion when the Lord Jesus called Simon to follow him. I want you to see yourself in Simon, to see how Jesus pursued and wooed this man to himself. For in this story, we're taught and assured concerning what it means to be not a perfect disciple. There's no such thing. But a true disciple. A true disciple of Jesus Christ. And to help us get into this story, I've broken it up into three sections. You have it there in your outline. Each section, you'll notice, highlights what took place on Simon's boat. Because after Jesus and Simon, the boat itself actually plays a major part in this story. Now, the first thing I want us to see is the word in the boat. Simon Peter, and this is true for all disciples, became a follower of Christ in the context of God's word. Notice how the story begins. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on Jesus to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake, which is really the lake or sea of Galilee, and he saw two boats by the lake. Verse 3, so Jesus got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and preached from the boat. Now, back in verse 43 of chapter 4, Jesus says, here's the reason I've come into the world. I have come into the world to preach the good news of God's reign. And that's exactly what he's doing here. And in response to his preaching, we're told that a large and enthusiastic crowd gathered to listen. A crowd that was so enthusiastic to hear Jesus' word that they nearly pushed Jesus into the lake. That's the picture. They're pressing in on Jesus, and he keeps backing up till he realizes there's the lake. They're about to push Jesus into the lake. And Jesus, because he was always a quick thinker, came up with a plan. 
And the plan was to turn Simon's boat into his pulpit. Now, up to this point, Simon and his partner seemed to be uninterested. There's this mass chaos going over here. They're right there. But they seem to be interested in what's going on between Jesus and the crowd. Jesus is preaching. The crowds are pressing. But what are these fishermen doing? They're washing. Washing their nets after a long and hard night of fishing. And it's as, 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 as they're washing their nets that... All of a sudden, just imagine you're one of these fishermen, you see all the chaos, you're doing your thing, maybe every once in a while you look over, maybe here just a little bit, but you're washing your nets, and then all of a sudden, Jesus is in one of your boats. He's in Simon's boat. And he says to Simon, "Uh, would you mind uh, pushing your boat out just a bit? Now, if I were Simon, I'd be shocked. Like, what's going on here? But notice here, Simon, even in his shock, agreed to do what Jesus asked. And in agreeing, he now found himself in the front row. He found himself in the front row of Jesus' sermon. Now, although he didn't seem to be interested at the time, Simon would have been aware of Jesus' reputation. How could he not be? Capernaum was his hometown, the very town where Jesus cast out a demon in the local synagogue during Sabbath worship. Then on that same Sabbath, Jesus had spent the whole afternoon casting out more diseases, casting out more demons and healing many of their diseases. But even more personally, it was in Capernaum where Jesus healed Simon's own mother-in-law from a wretched fever during the Sabbath lunch. Simon was aware of Jesus, but up to this point, he seemed not to notice. But now Jesus was in his boat. And in being in his boat, he did what Jesus asked. He pushed the boat out a little bit so that Jesus could continue his sermon. A sermon to which now Simon was listening. Now, as with the reputation of Jesus, we can assume Simon had heard Jesus preach before. For by this point in his ministry, Jesus was preaching all the time. And surely Simon would have heard some of his sermons. He may have been in attendance when he taught in the local synagogue. Simon wasn't completely unaware of Jesus' words. These words that, as Luke tells us, were full of grace and power. But up till now, those sermons hadn't really had an impact on Simon. They hadn't gotten through. Simon may have thought, well, you know, other people need to hear those words, but I don't. On those other occasions, Simon's could, in a sense, evade Jesus' word, but no more. Not on this occasion, because now here he was sitting at Jesus' feet as Jesus preached from his boat. Simon was now nearer to God's word than he had ever been before. And as we read between the lines, we get the sense that for Simon, it was like he was hearing God's word preached for the very first time. And it must have felt as if Jesus were speaking directly to Simon speaking directly to Simon about God's saving reign, about God's favor, about how Jesus was the the very embodiment of God's grace and mercy. And my friends, isn't that the way God's word works in discipleship? It encounters and addresses us personally. And as it does, it begins to captivate our hearts. It draws us in. We may have heard hundreds of sermons, but then one sermon breaks through. It reaches into the very core of our being, and it's as if we're no longer hearing the voice of the preacher, but hearing the voice 
of Jesus. His good and gracious voice addressing you personally. Happened like that for me. I grew up in church. I was there Sundays, Wednesdays, and any other time the door was open. I had heard thousands of sermons. But it wasn't until my sophomore year in college that an impact was made. Up until that point, I'd heard all these sermons, but I'd never heard really one thing that was said. But somehow, some way, Jesus and his grace got through, and I began to hear. I began to hear the voice of Jesus say, come to me, you who need rest. And then I began to want to hear it more. Because that's how discipleship works. We want to hear Jesus' voice. I'm not saying we hear it all the time. We may hear a sermon and think, eh. but we come ready because we want to hear the voice of our Lord. And we want to go on hearing it. Becoming and growing as a disciple always takes place in the context of God's word. Hearing his word addressed to us personally. Have you heard it? Are you hearing it? Are you here this morning not to hear first and foremost from me, but from Jesus? In telling the story in the way he does, Luke is saying to his friend, Theophilus, a true disciple is one who hears the voice of Jesus. And my friend, you have heard it. You've responded to it. You're reading it now, so listen and keep on listening. Rest in this good word and continue to respond to it. But then secondly, notice how Jesus joins his word in the boat to his power in the boat. Now, as with Jesus' word, Simon was obviously aware of Jesus' power. He was either there when Jesus healed his mother-in-law or shortly after his wife must have said to him if he came in late, honey, you're never going to believe this. Jesus was here today and he's, he healed mama. Now, I'm trusting Simon was a good son-in-law, and he was excited about this. He may not have been, I don't know. But regardless, he knew of Jesus' power. Jesus' Jesus's power had already been displayed in Simon's family. And in this way, when we put all this together, you see what's happening? Jesus was already pursuing Simon long before he jumped into Simon's boat. Jesus was already preparing the way, and again, that's the way it often works in discipleship. We hear that one sermon because of the groundwork of all the others and other people in our lives who were praying for us. And so Jesus was already pursuing Simon even before he jumped into the boat. And surely at some level, Simon was impressed with Jesus's power. But at the same time, you know, he may have thought, well, you know, my mother-in-law was sick. She needed that power. She was weak. I'm not. I'm strong. I'm healthy. I'm a skilled and hardened fisherman with a successful business. And obviously it's successful. He has partners. Things are pretty good for Peter. Other people may need that power, but I don't. But now that very power was in his boat. And after preaching, Jesus determined to show Peter his power in an even more personal way. And so after he preached, notice it was after the sermon. I want to put all the emphasis on the sermon. It was after the sermon that Jesus displays his power. He says to Peter in verse 4, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Now, on the surface, this was a ludicrous request. Not only had Simon and his partners already been fishing all night with nothing, I mean nothing to show for it, 
But now to turn around and go out again in the day is just silly. You, you don't net fish in the day because the fish will see the net and they'll avoid it. No, you fish with a net at night. And if you've already had the trouble, trouble doing that at night, caught nothing, then surely you won't be successful in the day. Yet in spite of all this, Jesus, who wasn't a fisherman, says to Simon, let's have another go at it. And amazingly, it, amazing, but albeit reluctantly, you can kind of hear Simon's reluctance in this, Simon agreed. He, the expert fisherman, listened to the son of the carpenter. At your word, master, although we have been toiling all night, I'll go and let down the nets. And you see, that's how we know that this word, this sermon, was already having its impact. Because if it hadn't had an impact, I think we could actually expect Simon to laugh Jesus off his boat at this request to put down the nets again. And yet, he listens to Jesus' word. He does as Jesus asks. And at some level, he was beginning to see that Jesus' word had power. And now Jesus wants to display his power in providing a catch beyond Simon's wildest dream. We know the story. Simon goes out into the deep. He puts down his nets. And then all of a sudden, the nets begin to fill up with fish. And there are so many fish that the nets begin to break. It was such a large catch that Peter has to yell over to his partners, who presumably brought their boat out as well. And he says, hey, you got to come help me here. And so they come over and they begin to help. And now fish are everywhere. They're filling up the boats, and the boats are going down. So the nets are breaking. The boats are seeking. There's a bit of chaos because this was such an astonishing catch. Again, we've heard the story. What's the point? I mean, Jesus didn't do this sort of thing all the time. There are occasions, but these aren't the sorts of things Jesus is doing all the time. This really is a unique display of power. So what's Jesus doing? What's he saying? Well, in providing such a large catch for an obviously skilled fisherman, I think Jesus was showing Peter that his power is needed not only in the weak areas of our lives, but in those areas of our lives where we think we're strong, where we think we have it all together. Simon was a successful fisherman, but even in his success, Jesus was saying, you need my power here. Because Jesus' power demonstrates that he's not only Lord over the weak areas of our lives. He's Lord and provider in every area of our lives, weak or supposedly strong. For Simon, following Jesus meant recognizing that Jesus the carpenter was a better fisherman than he was. His success far outweighed Simon's success. His power was needed even in Simon's supposed strength. Strength that was weak in comparison to the power of Jesus. Think about your own life. And as you do, you can probably pinpoint those areas where you know you're weak. Where you know you need Jesus' help. But here Jesus is saying through his display of power that you not only need his power in the weak spot, but you need his power in every area of your life. My friends, we can't compartmentalize Christ because he is indeed Lord of all. Jesus calls us to himself to be Lord of every area of our lives, even those areas where we think we're good, where we're competent, 
All is to be brought under Jesus' dominion because of who he is, because he's God in the flesh. He's the son of God who became the true Adam to rescue us who've inherited this sad story of Adam, which is a story filled with sin and brokenness and death as we saw last week. God was in Simon's boat and he was there as the better Adam. The true human that alone can get our sinful and broken humanity back on track. And this catch demonstrated this. In what way? Well, if you were to think back to Genesis, what was the very first thing over which God gave Adam dominion? What's the very first thing? Well, it says, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea. Jesus wasn't out on the lake performing a bit of magic. No, he was demonstrating that he's the true Adam, and as such, he is the Lord of creation. The Lord who came into the world to put all things right. He's the divine and human king who possesses all power, authority, and dominion. The king who uses his sovereign power not to harm or hurt us but to transform us and to eventually transform his groaning creation. We sinners often abuse and misuse whatever authority we have, but Jesus never, ever misuses or abuses his authority. And that's why his disciples are to ever be learning not to put our ultimate hope and trust in men, but in him. In him who uses his authority to provide for us what we need most. And what is that? It's him. A disciple is one who by Jesus' gracious power is learning more and more, however imperfectly, to see that at every point and in every area, we need Jesus most. Jesus alone is worthy and able to be your all in all. No other human can do that. But the true human, who is God in the flesh, who came into this world to be your all in all, so that you might see his worth as your life. And that brings us thirdly to the response in the boat. Because the word of Christ and the power of Christ always calls for a response to Christ. What was Simon's response? Verse 8, when Simon Peter saw the massive catch, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. It was such a right response, a humble response. Peter confesses he's a sinner not worthy to be in Jesus' holy and powerful presence. Now, because we're familiar with this story, we expect this response. We're no longer shocked by this response. But when you really think about it, it was utterly unexpected. It was an illogical response. I mean, think about it. What if, what if after worship today, I pulled one of you aside and I said, hey, go straight to your local ATM and in your account, you're going to find an extra $200,000 ready for you to withdraw if I said that to you, more than likely you're going to think, oh boy, the man in the dress has lost it. <laughs> but what if you humored me? Yeah, let's go do it. Tell your kids we're going to go to the ATM. The kids are like, 
think Pastor Brandon's lost it. Yeah, we're just going to humor him. We're going to go to the ATM, and you pull up, you put your card in, and all of a sudden you see in your account an extra $200,000, and you withdraw it. Now, how would you respond? Well, if you happen to come back here, I do not think you would walk back into the church, and if I happen to still be here, you would run to me, fall down, and say, depart from me, I'm a sinner. That's not going to be your response, is it? No, your response might be something to the effect of, uh, would you be my financial planner? <laughs> because you see, for Simon, fish equaled what? Money. Fish was wealth. And knowing this, it wouldn't have been surprising in light of this astonishing catch. I mean, here are all this fish. If Simon had said to Jesus, I got an idea. Why don't you be my fishing partner? If you come down here just once a week and do what you did today, I'll give you up to 80% of what I make. Just keep filling up the boats, Jesus. We almost expect that, but there's more going on on this boat. Because at this point, money was the farthest thing from Peter's mind. Now, the main thing on his mind was Jesus' worth and his sinful unworthiness. Depart from me, O Lord, I'm a sinful man. In light of Jesus' display of power, which which is always connected to his holiness, his glory. Simon, notice how even his address of Jesus changes. It started off as master, but now here it is as Lord. On that boat, surrounded by all that fish, with the boats going down, Simon at some level recognized that in being in Jesus' presence, he was in the presence of the holy God. And indeed he was. Jesus is God in the flesh. And therefore in the presence of Jesus, the right thing. I would say to you, not simply the logical thing, but the sane thing to do is to confess your sin and your unworthiness. That we confess that we are nothing. That we're rebellious. That we don't deserve Jesus to come into our boats, our lives. And on a worldly level, Simon's response was illogical. On a spiritual level, it made perfect sense. Because a recognition of the utter worth of Christ is meant to lead to a confession of our own unworthiness. In light of Jesus' provision of fish, Simon knew he had nothing to offer Jesus but his sin. Realize that Jesus has provided all this fish. And because at our heart, we want to live by a tit-for-tat relationship, you can imagine Simon thinking, I've got to do something, and he realized, i got nothing except my sin. I can't present my sin to this one who is holy. So he says, depart from me. And what, at one level, what this teaches us is that central to being Jesus' disciple is the constant recognition that on our own, Emphasis on our own, we are utterly unworthy of Jesus. But that's the wonder of grace. The recognition of our unworthiness doesn't cause Jesus to depart from us. Can't you say thanks be to God that when Peter said to Jesus, depart from me, Jesus didn't say, oh, you're right, Peter. You are a pretty bad dude. I think I'm going to go ahead and get on out of here. Jesus did not depart from Peter. Peter was full of sin. 
But Jesus, the Holy One, was full of grace. Jesus wanted Simon. He wanted to share his divine worth with Simon, the worth of his love and forgiveness and restoration. Jesus was committed to Simon, and he remained committed to Simon even when Simon wasn't committed to him. I mean, again and again, Simon proved his unworthiness. I think that's why we find him so appealing. He blew it. He messed up. He messed up a lot, and he continued to do so. Which shows us that in discipleship, it's not that we come to Jesus and boom, we've got it all together. No, discipleship is a long life, long life, long life process of living this out continually, of recognizing Jesus' grace is needed day by day by day. His sufficient grace that covers all of our sin. Jesus was so committed to Simon, so committed to you. That he gave his worthy life for us so that we who were unworthy might take on his worthy life. Now, don't forget the story behind the story. Don't forget Theophilus. Here's a man wrestling with whether or not he's a true disciple of Jesus. Maybe Theophilus had recently sinned greatly in his life. That's why he was struggling with assurance. We don't know. But what Luke wants him and us to know is that Jesus will never depart. Jesus will never depart from the one who acknowledges their sin to him. Jesus wants broken sinners. Jesus meets us in our waywardness. And he does so not to leave us there to begin to work his transformation in our life, filling our lives not with fish, but with his own spirit. Jesus wants you. And he wants you not because what you can bring to Jesus. He wants you because he loves you. He wants to give you what he has. He wants to take your unworthiness that you might take on his worthiness. This is the beauty of the gospel, and a disciple rests in it, not simply at the beginning, but throughout the Christian life. But then notice, in light of Simon's response, what does Jesus go on to do? He issues his missional call. Verse 10, from now on you'll be catching people. Verse 10. And in response to Jesus' call, we're told in verse 11 that they, notice not just Simon anymore, but James and John, they've been astonished as well. They've seen what Peter did. Now they're going along and they leave everything and follow Jesus. These hardened fishermen become Jesus's changed disciples. Now here's the question I have when I read this story. So does that mean every disciple needs to leave everything to follow Jesus? Well, yes and no. You see, rarely does Jesus call his disciples to literally leave everything. He does, but he doesn't always do that. However, he always calls disciples to center their everything around him so that more and more we follow him in every area of life. The whole of our lives are to be lived under the lordship of Jesus. And with this, doing this, there becomes, by his grace, a readiness to go. A readiness to go to others with the very gospel we've received. A disciple is one who's called to share Jesus with others. Evangelism isn't an add-on to discipleship. 
No, it goes hand in hand with discipleship. And that doesn't mean we're all going to be great evangelists. But regardless, we are called to show and share Jesus with the unbelievers in our lives, which assumes we have unbelievers in our lives. Do we? Well, we do at work, in our neighborhoods, in our school, and quite possibly in our families. Jesus calls us to be fishers of these people, people for whom we're to pray consistently. Do you have one or two unbelievers that you're praying for on a consistent basis? People to whom we're to show hospitality. People, image bearers, for whom we're to be ready to give a reason for the hope that is within us. And let's admit it, when we hear this call, it's pretty scary, isn't it? Pretty scary to think about. And I think that's why Jesus tells Simon here, don't be afraid. Simon, if I've provided all this fish, remember they're still on the boat, the fish are everywhere, they're flopping. Fish are everywhere. If I've provided all this fish with you simply letting down a net, then I'm able to take you with all your weakness, all your foibles, and bring in a large haul of people who need me. Because Simon, when you're weak, then you're strong. Strong with my sufficient grace that has called you to me that I might now send you out. There's the story. To come back to that smaller story, we can imagine... Luke, maybe writing out in the margin, so Theophilus. And here, insert your name for Theophilus in light of this story. Are you resting in Jesus? Are you relying on Jesus? Do you recognize the superabundant salvation he's bestowed and the great mission into which he's called you as his disciple? Jesus has called you. Jesus is with you, Jesus is for you, and Jesus is able to use you, even you, to lead others to himself. So keep on looking to him, and keep on listening to him, even when he calls you to do what seems, in the eyes of the world, to be silly. Because in the eyes of heaven, it is not. It is the glory of Christ and the good of others. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this great story. We see ourselves in this story. We pray that we would see it more. We thank you for the way that you have come to us and called us to yourself. This morning, if someone is maybe hearing your voice for the very first time, I pray that they would see the wonder of who you are. They would not get overwhelmed with their sin by themselves, but bring it to your feet and you assure them that you will never depart from the one who confesses their sin to you. Thank you that you have spoken. We pray that we would continue to have ears that want to hear your life-giving voice. Amen.